This is episode 91 with Hunter Johnson. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Hunter Johnson is the CEO of The Man Cave, a preventative mental health and emotional intelligence organization for boys and young men. Hunter has a diverse background in youth leadership, emotional intelligence, and social entrepreneurship, having facilitated programs with over 20,000 young people across the world. Among many other high-performing roles, he was also Director of Innovation at Kids in Philanthropy, an organization that has raised over $300,000 for other kids in needs. Hunter's work has led him to speak around the world, including presenting at the United Nations, the Sydney Opera House, Melbourne Town Hall, graduation ceremonies and various universities. Hunter also facilitates an extensive range of workshops focusing on skills and knowledge directly related to youth leadership, social entrepreneurship, next generation philanthropy, gender equality and well-being as required by young people, schools and communities. Hunter has been recognised for many prestigious awards in social entrepreneurship and leadership over the years, but the most recent one definitely takes the cake when he was recognised as a 2018 Queen's Young Leader by Her Majesty the Queen, where only 60 people from around the world were actually recognised. To sum it up, This bloke is a genuine, authentic legend who's making a big impact in this world and you're going to get a lot of value from this chat. Whilst we talk a lot about young men and masculinity, this is not just an episode for men. This, like all the chats I have with people, is a learning experience for everyone as it gives a great perspective of some of the challenges men and young men face and how we as members of society can play our part to help support the future leaders. And we don't just talk about men, we talk about the future leaders of all genders. In this episode we discuss how and why the Man Cave is creating a safe and impactful learning environment for young men to break through their limiting beliefs and grow into their full potential, how emotional intelligence is taught from Hunter's perspective, what the number one factors are that are holding adults back in the emotional intelligence space, what the mask of masculinity looks like and how we can be held back from it, why a culture of judgment and the banter economy are negatively influencing young men, how meeting the Queen and getting a wink from David Beckham has boosted his confidence and the impact potential of Man Cave, and so much more that we chat about. Now, I want to take a minute to read another iTunes review because, as you know, they help keep this podcast alive. This one is titled, Great and Inspirational Podcast. I first heard about this podcast on another show, the Bevan James Isles Podcast. I'm really loving this one. Keep up the great work, Robbo. 
That was by Building 17 from Australia. Well, thanks, Building 17. (laughs) Short and sweet with a five-star review. I'm super grateful that you took the time to give that five-star rating, and I'm stoked you're enjoying this podcast. Bevan James Isles is a great guy, and I got a lot of feedback from the episode where I had him on the show, actually. So thanks for coming across as a listener now of both podcasts. Now, before we dive into the episode... A reminder that we have the Impact event on the 20th of October at Elevation Complete Health and Fitness Center on the Gold Coast. It's an epic half-day event where you'll hear and learn from industry leaders such as Amber Hawken, Carl Hewen, and Nam Baldwin. We're covering topics such as optimizing your gut health and the gut-brain connection. This area is blowing up in the world, so if you've been hearing about it and thinking about it, This is your chance to learn about it in person and then ask a lot of questions. We're also covering mindfulness for self-mastery with Amber, emotional intelligence, breath training, all these areas. So we've got delicious healthy food and drinks to align with the gut health aspects and there'll also be prize and product giveaways. It's really going to be a great opportunity to meet other like-minded humans and network with these people and the presenters. So jump on to yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash events and check out all the info there. And remember, as always, places are limited, so make sure you don't miss out. Even if you're listening to this episode after October the 20th, or if the Gold Coast is a bit far out of reach for you to travel to, and by a bit far out of reach, I mean you're probably not going to fly from Sweden for this one, <laughs> but we do have people traveling interstate, so you don't just have to live at the Gold Coast. So even if you're listening to it after October the 20th, jump onto the website and check out what events and programs are on offer because there's some great ones in the pipeline, as I've spoken about on a previous episode, and you never know what will be popping up and what structure we're taking with the mental strength training program, for example. You know, I've met a few people lately that told me they've just discovered the podcast and started back at episode one, and I love this. And then I think, wow, how many of our programs have been spoken about in those episodes that people have missed? But how great is it that we have grown and developed all these other opportunities? So no matter how long after the release of an episode you're hearing what's happening, there's likely still something available for you. So jump on to yourlifeofimpact.com and check it all out. And for that specific event, yourlifeofimpact.com forward slash events. Okay, now let's hear from the genuine legend himself, Hunter Johnson. What is the man cave? And how did it come about? Uh, so the Man Cave uh, was started four years ago with one of my best mates, Jamin Heppel. Um, and we saw that in the system, whether it was around domestic violence or mental health, a lot of it was geared around crisis management and Band-Aid solutions and very little at the preventative and proactive end, uh, specifically working with boys and young men. So we, uh, we started running our workshops in Frankston, uh, Victoria, uh, and uh, ran our first six workshops. And as we were driving back from those workshops, we, uh, we realized we we're onto something after we found a letter from one of the young men we were working with who said, show, thanks, for the, thanks for the lesson, fellas. Really shows me what it looks like to see a healthy male role model and what it feels like to be a real man. 
and this kid signed off his name. And when we spoke to the principal about it, she said that he'd been anonymously voted as the school's biggest bully uh, the week before and could not believe that he'd written something like that, which we, uh, we had a big belly laugh at because we thought it was a bit weird that they anonymously vote kids as bullies. Hopefully they keep that private. But, um, you know, just to see the impact on that young man. Um, so that was kind of the, the turning point for us. Um, and obviously, you know, saw a lot of men in our life that we really cared about, struggle with, um, whether it was depression, anxiety, suicide impacted both of our lives, uh, and also, you know, violence and, and substance abuse was really in our world. And we thought, you know, surely this can be prevented by working with boys and young men when they're constructing their belief systems around what it means to be a man. And the man cave as it says on the site, aims to explore healthy masculinity, positive mental health, respectful relationships and gender equality. What mm. is healthy masculinity? Mm. So healthy masculinity to us is the ability for a young man uh, to have the choice around how he shows up in any given situation. And that may mean he needs to be stoic and strong and hold himself together but also have the self-awareness and the power of choice to choose the next day that he might need to shed some tears or he might need to share his feelings or become vulnerable and get the support that he needs or other people in his life uh, need. So for us, it's having an unrestricted idea of what it means to be a man opposed to, I guess, some of the more traditional belief systems that we've inherited, which is to be strong, to make heaps of money, to show no emotion, to attract heaps of women. Um, for us to kind of expand that definition and not throw away our masculine traits, but actually uh, an invitation to explore more of our humanity is what our belief is. How is that message received by the young men in the schools that you work with? Because for some guys, it's going to really challenge their belief systems, as you mentioned, which I imagine at that age could cause some resistance when you start to challenge their belief systems. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's the real art of effective facilitation. So we use young, relatable, charismatic, very emotionally aware um, young men uh, who are in their kind of mid-20s to early 30s to go in and run the programs in the schools. And it's definitely an art to um, bring the young men on the journey. Because um, if we walked in and, you know, said we're going to come here today to talk about our feelings, fellas, uh, without a doubt we'd get some pretty, uh, pretty blank faces back at us. But um, for us it's really around connecting to the needs and the challenges that each of the young men that we're dealing with are facing. And, you know, something as very simple as kind of understanding, getting them to understand that we know the world of Year 7, which is, you know, say if we're working with a group in Year 7 or Year 8, and, you know, if you remember back to year seven, my experience was going from like a, being a big fish in a little pond in year six to suddenly a small fish in a ginormous pond. And suddenly I had to be more independent. I had to go to all my classes by myself. My homework increased. I was around a lot more um, boy culture, you know, the school playground politics, the, you know, the banter that existed. And then, you know, going into year eight, which was really, uh, in my experience, and I still see this play out with the thousands of young men we work with um, each year, is that there's a real culture of judgment where tall poppy syndrome exists, where boys, um, you know, don't really want to stand out because they'll hear about it, they'll get cut down, but you also don't want to be down the bottom of the pecking order because you'll hear about it too. So everyone just kind of sits in the middle because uh, they're so scared of being judged and um, kind of wears a mask each and every day. 
um, you know, we kind of open up um, the program with each of our stories around what our life was like when we were their age. And that builds a sense of relatedness and connection. Uh, and then with the boys, we kind of take them on a the journey where we get to map out what are the rules that we've inherited around what it means to be a man. And, you know, who's felt pressure to live up to these rules? Who's seen it work well? Who's seen it, you know, work not so well? And through the design of the program and the facilitation, we start getting some honesty in the room. And, you know, with a group of teenage boys, I, interestingly, very few of them have had an honest conversation in their life where they can really talk about something with um, a lot of weight and depth and, and be authentic, you know, because a lot of them are in that kind of uh, banter, but we use the language of a banter economy where it's just kind of, you know, having fun with your mates but never really having anything surface level, which is quite ironic because Australia kind of preaches we have this culture of mateship. And it's like, yes, in times when they, things are going great, but what about when times when we're doing it tough? And, um, you know, for us, from that point, we um, start acknowledging the boys who are starting to demonstrate some real courage and honesty and vulnerability and create a social proof in the room that that's the behaviour that we celebrate today. And that kind of segues into, into the rest of the, the program, which is creating um, effectively what we call safe spaces for boys to take off the mask they wear every day and start to um, develop the language and um, the mental tools to articulate what's really going on in their lives and also to see the shared experiences of others, you know, their friends or other groups and hear them start to talk about what's actually going on behind the mask for them. Brilliant. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. And before we dive in deeper into your impactful journey, I just want to say, Hunter Johnson, welcome to your life of impact. Thanks for having me, Brett. Very excited to have this conversation with you, mate. And we've been connected through a genuine legend and previous podcast guest who you mentioned just there before, and you guys sound like you've created the man cave together, uh, Jamin Heppel. And he's had quite a few mentions on the podcast, actually, because he's done a great job of some connecting me with some, some uh, inspirational humans like yourself. So I'm so grateful that he's made that connection. Yeah, he's, uh, he's one of my best mates, um, you know, learned an unbelievable amount from him and he's on an incredible journey running, uh, running marathons and climbing mountains in every continent across the world right now. So that's his idea of a holiday, which I think is a little bit weird, but, um, you know, all power to him. <laughs> now, I'm interested to chat to you more about emotional intelligence and this is part of what you guys teach. What does emotional intelligence mean to you and, and how do you teach it to the young ones? Yes, I think emotional intelligence, in, it, it's kind of a buzzword which gets thrown around a lot. Um, and I think increasingly more so in positions of leadership. You know, one of the classic quotes from Daniel Goleman, who was being, you know, identified as kind of one of the founders of the emotional intelligence movement says a lot of CEOs are hired on their IQ and fired on their EQ. And, you know, now that we're moving into a world where a lot of work is, is becoming automated and a lot of leadership is becoming around supporting and building a culture um, in, within their organisations, um, my belief is that uh, emotional intelligence begins in our earliest moments of childhood and it's when we start to identify and regulate our emotions it's the ability to read social situations to pick up social cues uh, and the ability i think to have self-awareness and with the power of self-awareness comes choice and with choice has the option of positive impact uh, and so what we do with, with young men is um, 
look to first and foremost create a space where they can have an unfiltered conversation um, where there's no morality involved, where they're not made to feel right or wrong or good or bad, but they can actually start sharing about some of the challenges or even some of the successes uh, in their life uh, and they are t- we talk with them. So it's never about kind of giving them the answers. The idea in our world of facilitation is that the knowledge is in the group and um, by them having the space to start articulating uh, what's really going on in their lives, we believe that they develop language and with language they can make sense of the world. Uh, and they can also hear other young men's life experiences um, uh, where they can develop an empathy and a compassion Um, But also, you know, the stories in which they hear are embedded with values, character strengths, um, and also, you know, stories are something which have effectively groomed and grown human beings for thousands and thousands of years. And I think there's a lot of value from young people hearing stories from their elders. So um, that's kind of our our use of, of the language emotional intelligence. And I believe that if we can teach emotional intelligence to young men, uh, not only would that be better for themselves, but their relationships and also their communities. It's interesting because the concept of emotional intelligence or EQ, it makes complete sense when you think about the fact that we as humans are emotional states everywhere we go. Every minute of the day, we're either helping or hindering ourselves with our our emotional awareness and emotional agility. And, Mm. you know, I've done a lot of training in this space and I, I coach it and teach it, but I was never exposed to it when I was at school, not mm. even in my early adult life, not even till about three years ago, to be honest. And, and I work with teenagers and adults now, and it's never surprising but always alarming how many adults have very little emotional intelligence knowledge at all. I fundamentally agree with you, and I think that was very similar to my life trajectory. It was... Um, exactly the same narrative was only within kind of the last five years that the language came into my world of exploring what is emotional intelligence, how is it relevant and also how does one develop it? Um, and I think the, the nuance with developing emotional intelligence is that it actually requires you doing the work on yourself. And often that is uncomfortable. It's painful. It's confronting, um, patterns and belief systems that we've grown up with or just from life experiences that have molded our identity and it's effectively unconditioning that at times. And, um, I think it, it takes a lot of courage to step into the ring or step into the arena and, and really confront and look at yourself and, you know, reflect on your own personal journey on your life and where you want to go. And then how do you develop the emotional capacity or the emotional literature, uh, literacy to, you know, propel you into the leader or the human being that you want to be? In your experience, so you obviously work a lot with the young ones, but you obviously, you do talks into other organizations and I know you work with and around other adults, obviously. What sort of a two-part question, what are the emotions that the young ones seem to be struggling with the most? And then what is it about either what are the emotions or what is it about emotional intelligence that you find that us adults are struggling with the most? Mm, I think with young men, there's a word uh, called alexithymia, which means the inability to articulate uh, our emotions. And that comes through in spades with the young men that that we work with. And uh, a lot of it is, is 
they lack the vocabulary to express or to first of all identify and then secondly to express their emotions. And the real art of what we try to do is to use language that meets young men where they're at. And also I, I think the conditioning that we have as, as young men where we're told to man up, don't cry, don't be soft, don't be a sissy, don't be gay, don't be like a girl, um, limits our vocabulary into what we can share. Um, and, you know, simple nuances for us. So instead of a conversation of, you know, how are you feeling, it'll be how are you tracking or how are you going or how are you doing. And eventually our goal is to take the boys on the journey where they can say, I'm feeling this. But at the beginning, it's around using language that really meets them where they're at. And I think that's the art of an effective communicator or facilitator is they can share, you know, they're able to pick and identify the language that's required to get the best outcome. Um, The second thing is, is that um, young men uh, don't have, often don't have the, the capabilities to... Uh, deal with their frustration or their anger and that ends up being bottled up and manifests in a variety of different ways whether it's um, every couple months just exploding in a fit of rage or um, overwhelm or or tears Um, but also can manifest in other um, area I think a lot of these boys and this is definitely true from my own personal experience too aren't aware that there are spaces upon which they can share about what's going on in their lives. Um, and I think that's something to do with the you know, story that a lot of us guys have inherited of just be self-sufficient, just deal with it yourself, you'll be fine or she'll be fine, mate. Um, and, you know, for, for a lot of these guys, the conversations that we're having with them, they literally did not know that it was possible to have a conversation um, and be authentic in this way. And, you know, that was definitely true for my experience too. Uh, and then for, for adults, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Again, the, the, the lack of um, deep, meaningful relationships, I think, is um, the, the common theme that we're seeing play out. And, I th- you know, a, a report came out by Beyond Blue recently, which was that, you know, one in three men between the age of 35 to 60 are satisfied with the quality of their relationships. And, you know, that in regards to mental health or social and emotional well-being, that our, our social connections as we are programmed to be social creatures is one of the most important things for our well-being. And that's backed up by a report by the World Health Organization that says, Loneliness is one of the biggest concerns to human flourishing um, in the future. So for us, we believe that if we can create the space with um, our adults um, that we work with where they can, again, similar process, take off the mask, have a shared conversation um, of weight and you know, gravity and, and depth, um, that power of vulnerability is where true connection is formed and that's where we are able to fully be with and see another and, you know, able to form some pretty long-lasting friendships. And, you know, just recently I was running a, a, a program with some of the, you know, big CEOs up at Collins Street in, in Melbourne and got them sitting down opposite each other and uh, invited them one by one uh, to share their life story for, for 90 seconds. And the, the person on the other side of them was just to listen and just to hold that space, not need to fix or rescue them. And um, after they each finished, I kind of checked in with the group and said, you know, it feels a little bit different now. 
And, um, you know, just that simple cue, they said, you know, I've sat opposite this guy for, for 16 years and I just learned more about him in 90 seconds than in, in 17 years. And then the next process I introduced them to was just to share a, a challenge that they're currently facing in their life. And again, no need to be fixed or rescued just to articulate it. And then the final process was for them to be honoured for their unique gifts and talents from the other person. Uh, and again, you know, this all happened within the span of 15 minutes, but just because of the level of authenticity in the room, the, the energy was, was buzzing and warm and infectious. And just to hear from these people that like they haven't had the time in their life or haven't created the time in their life had the permission to actually have a conversation like this and how meaningful and alive they feel afterwards is you know something they haven't felt in a very long time and you know I think that's what we try to do with whether it's boys or with it's you know adults just create those spaces for people to authentically connect and I guess that's a good point to make that you you don't just work with young men you don't just work with guys because you're also uh, I know with the work at the organization called headquarters you facilitate programs for both genders obviously and your experience is is with everyone why why was it important to make the man cave specifically for boys yeah, so we ran headquarters, um, which ran uh, the Man Cave, ran another program, Game Changers, which is a sports leadership program. And we also ran a facilitated training program for young leaders and went through a process where we were starting to gain a bit of traction, was getting pulled in different directions. Uh, we were saying yes to a lot of things, we built a lot of momentum, but realised that we're getting spread too thin for our um, our our internal capacity and so caught up with some you know amazing entrepreneurs um, in the social sector from thank you who gives a crap why gap tom organic higher up and said to them if you were us given the journey you're on and how far you know you're a little bit further down the track than us if you had any advice what would that be uh for us at this stage and they said focus and actually hyper focus and so uh, we asked ourselves four very, very simple questions, which was, what are we most passionate about? What are we having the most impact in? What can we be the best in the world at? And what can we commercialize? And we did that with the Man Cave, with Game Changers and our facilitator training program. And it, it landed on the Man Cave. And so um, as of uh, about eight months ago, we spun out the Man Cave. It's its own not-for-profit and registered it as a charity. And um, just ask ourselves again the simple question, if we were to have the most impact given the current state of the world, whether it's with the Me Too movement, whether it's with male mental health, you know, whether it's with domestic violence, what is the common theme and the common thread throughout and what are our unique gifts and talents where we think we can have the most impact and where do they intertwine? And, you know, it was working with boys and young men and building a community of responsible male, healthy male role models around these boys and young men um, to give them a structured transition into adulthood, but also, you know, some emotional skills to navigate the complexities of their lives. And, and that's why we believe that, you know, ideally I, we, we would love to work with all genders, but right now we believe that there's a real gap in supporting boys to become healthy, contributing, values-based, respectful young men. And um, they have so much potential in that regard because they're dying to get there. They just need a path. How can we help contribute to this growth and development of the young ones? Because some of the listeners will be parents, some might be teachers, 
Some might not spend much time at all with young ones, but I can almost guarantee that they'll cross paths with them either by being served at the shops or cafes or their friends, kids, whatever it might be. How can we all ensure that we're contributing to the growth and development of our future leaders? Mm, Great question. Uh, Two things come up straight away for me. I think mentoring is one of the most undervalued um, assets that we have as a society. I think for thousands and thousands of years, you know, it took a community to raise a child and the, the purpose behind that sentiment is that, you know, at different life stages, a, a young person is going to listen to different stories from their elders. You know, there's certain times where mum and dad or whoever the guardians are will be able to instill certain values and life lessons, but there's other times where the older siblings will be or the uncles or the aunties or whoever else, a respected member of the community. And um, uh, I think... If there is an opportunity to mentor young people in your community, I think that is an unbelievable asset um, for, for this young person's life. And doing in a way which is, is really not about trying to fix or make better or improve, but actually just being there as a non-judgmental figure who can be there to support the young person in times when they're going really well, but most importantly when t- times are really tough because you know, young people now face a world of unprecedented pressures with, you know, social media, with Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, even Netflix. Um, and, you know, it's, it's tough to be a young person. It, it always has been, but there's a new level of complexity now. Uh, and the, the second part, which kind of fills into that, is, is having the, the courage to share uh, our stories with our young people. And that's, you know, stories around our first time, you know, our first time with a romantic partner. It could be our first time experimenting with drugs or with alcohol, um, our first time with grief or or loss um, or, you know, who we wanted to be when we were their age or what our life experience was like or what our relationship with our parents was like. You know, stories are something which have, you know, bound the human condition for thousands of years. And now I think because people are so busy, um, we really we there's a real absence of sharing our stories with young people and that's that's how we learn and the beautiful thing about a story is you can tell that same story to a five-year-old to a 15-year-old to a 65-year-old and they can take certain set of values and principles out of those stories that are applicable for their life so i would say mentoring and um, having the the courage to share our stories Brilliant. Yeah. And what you talk about there with everyone, that's perception, right? So people will hear the same story and see the same vision, but they will have, sorry, the visual image, but they will have different perceptions because it passes through their filtering system. So it's important to, for people to not shy away from sharing their story just because they think someone took something else from it a time ago. So I think that, you know, mentoring is very undervalued and I think it's a brilliant concept that you bring in there. And the work that you guys are doing definitely hasn't gone unnoticed and globally too, which was proven when you were recently recognized as a 2018 young leader from Her Majesty herself, the Queen uh, in in Buckingham Palace, I believe. That is correct. Yeah, it was an outrageous opportunity. I um, was, yeah, literally about two months ago was in Buckingham Palace um, receiving an award um, from Her Majesty the Queen, meeting Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, um, David Beckham, who uh, who winked at me, and I just thought my life will never get cooler than this moment right now. <laughs> um, 
Uh, but, you know, a real, real um, testament to, to our work and, you know, what they said was nothing uh, currently in the world is or that they've found is working with young men in the way that we are. Uh, so it was a real, wow. yeah, real um, accolade to, to our team and what we've built over the last four years and also a phenomenal platform to, to supercharge our message and our, our, um, our work. So it's, it's been a really important credibility piece for us to leverage the platform and we've just received such significant um, support from people, um, from philanthropists um, and from, you know, just general public who want to uh, support and yeah, amplify our work. Brilliant. And first of all, massive congrats too because that is, they don't just dish them out like uh, the Young Australian of the Year awards that I used to win at Cobar in the small country <laughs> town I grew up in. So, and for that compliment that they give you and for the whole process of it, it just shows that what you guys are doing is not just cool and great but freaking mm. powerful and very impactful and life-changing and probably life-saving too to be honest yeah I I really believe so and it was what you know I, I was lucky to be there with 59 other young leaders from across the world who were from um, you know a variety of different countries and each of them in their own time sent me a private letter or note or, or came up to me on the, on the trip and just said, how do we get this program in our communities? Which for me showed that this wasn't just something that was independent to an Australian context or a Western context, but really um, something that the world is seeking. And we've seen, you know, we've done no direct marketing in the four years that we've been in operation. And we've had over 150 schools across the world come to us for our services, um, which, you know, just reflects the, the professionalism, our team, um, that we're evidence-based and impact-orientated and that, you know, we're continually striving for best practice um, programs to support our young men. Brilliant. By the way, I've met the Queen and shaken her hand too, but I didn't get a, a wink from David Beckham. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Well, hopefully, you know, I can build a relationship and get him on the podcast soon. <laughs> and it wasn't at Buckingham Palace. It was when she was over for the Sydney 2000 Olympics and I was out the back of Burke, literally. We were at Burke and she was walking yeah. through shaking some hands. So it was a little bit of a different context. Oh, mate, still <laughs> equally as memorable, I'm sure. <laughs> so... Hunter, what about you personally? What made you go in this direction and this line of work? It's obviously very rewarding and very purposeful and you've spoken about the importance of meaning and purpose within our lives. But you mentioned too that you'd been impacted by suicide. Um, did you struggle struggle as a younger man? Yeah, I grew up uh, in... I- yeah, I guess a very Boise environment. Uh, I grew up in, in like a rugby culture um, in New South Wales, which I, which I loved. You know, I, it was where I built my mates. It's where I built my identity as a young teenager um, and a, a lot of my self-worth, uh, to be honest, as well. It was who I knew myself as for my friends, my family, um, my social group. Um, and, you know, I went to my, my group of mates that we grew up with were all very competitive, um, alpha, alpha males. And, you know, there were times where that worked unbelievably well for us. And we, you know, we loved it. We won, you know, footy competitions all throughout our teenage years. But also in my experience, you know, I felt very trapped by that identity and, you know, at times worked myself into the, the bully of the group where I would just, you know, dish out banter, 
um, looked to, I was insecure where I felt like I needed to prove myself all the time. And um, I remember it was my get out of free card, I actually describe it as, was um, I ended up having a, a broken leg on the, on the rugby field. The weekend we were supposed to play our biggest game against our rival team. We were both undefeated going for the championship. It was um, New South Wales versus Queensland, I think, for um, our like under 16 or 17s team. And the Friday night before, my, my club footy coach called me up and, and said, um, mate, we're short of a few players. Is there any chance you can turn up? And I kind of told him, I was like, listen, I can't. And he, you know, he said, we really need you. And you know, turned up to the game and, um, you know, within the first 10 seconds, caught the ball off the kickoff, was sprinting through everyone and um, eventually did one of those side steps where you kind of pretend you're not looking but everyone knows which way you're going to go and got cleaned up by the opposing winger. And uh, it ended up being a broken leg that had some pretty severe complications um, and ended up being about uh, six operations, a metal rod, four screws, two skin grafts, two blood transfusions. But in the worst news, they told me it was very likely they wouldn't be able to run again. And, you know, as a 16, 17-year-old who built my whole identity around being this sports player who wanted to play professional, uh, it was the first time in my life that I'd felt truly vulnerable and terrified. And, um, you know, it was, it was some of the kind of loneliest periods of my life. But um, I was very lucky to grow up in a family environment with my mum my and um, my dad and particularly my grandpa who really guided me through that period and, you know, kind of asked me questions around if I was that good at sport, imagine if I could shift that into something a little more meaningful, which uh, at the time was pretty hard to swallow. But um, just one of those comments that really sunk through and, you know, it also gave me a chance to kind of press the refresh button on my life and how I was showing up with my peer group. And, you know, the teachers gave me a second chance. I was getting in a bit of trouble at school. They gave me a second kind of lease on life and my mates also did too. Um, and so that was kind of the first crucible moment. Uh, and then I think, you know, very fortunate to grow up in a family environment where they, you know, entrepreneurship was really celebrated, but also being of service to your community and getting up to something that matters was very, very important. And, you know, through my teenage years, I tried to uh, run away from that for as long as possible, but uh, it eventually kind of sunk through and, you know, through that period, just, you know, saw a lot of men in my life that I really care about, um, struggle with, you know, 10 years of depression or, you know, um, bankruptcy or uh, addiction. Um, and, you know, a guy who played on the wing of our footy team ended up taking his life. You know, he's the charismatic bubbly guy. Um, and then just went to a few funerals over the years and, you know, often spoke to women who I cared about and heard about their stories of sexual abuse or violence and just thought, where is this beginning and why are we not doing anything to prevent it? And, you know, a few of those just kind of um, moments just snowballed into having the courage to actually kickstart the man cave uh, four years ago. Brilliant. Yeah, there's a lot obviously in there from experience and, you know, hardships and adversities and challenges can often be the most rewarding learning experiences for us once we can get through those grieving periods. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's where the language which I give to it now, which is I'm sure has been used in your podcast a few times is um, it was a rite of passage. And, um, you know, I think the most, I've just finished reading um, Ray Dalio's book, Principles, and the language he has to this is um, pain plus reflection equals growth. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, that was 
whether that is induced uh, consciously or if that is experienced, uh, that was definitely the case for me. And I think some of the biggest personal growth periods of my life have been when I've been the loneliness, loneliest, um, have questioned who I am or how I'm showing up or, you know, my relationships. And when I've managed to kind of resurface from that, uh, those experiences, you know, I, I've kind of evolved or hopefully evolved as a human being. And, um, you know, I think uh, particularly my experience was just to resist a lot of those experiences when I was younger, but now I've learned to, to lean in and just put the seatbelt on and, and have the belief that the resilience that I've developed, whether it was through sport or life experiences or, or various, you know, experiences and traumas that have happened, um, that I, I have the character and the, the resilience to, to keep taking one step in front of the other. Brilliant. And you've also done a lot of work, a lot of other philanthropic work in your career and worked a lot with young social entrepreneurs and the organization called Kids in Philanthropy. Mm. So you obviously have this passion about, like you said, this proactive approach to teach the young ones and change a lot of language and to create the, the next leaders. What about for adults? How do you feel about all of us exploring this philanthropic space. What's your thoughts on that? For, for people now who are listening that are working jobs or running their own businesses and are really busy with stuff and life, that busyness, and some of them will be extremely grateful for what they're doing and will have found passion and purpose and meaning within their work. Some of them will be struggling with and maybe even resentful of the grind. What's your thoughts for people on that position and exploring the philanthropic space from your experience? Yeah, I think we exist now in a very fascinating period where doing well financially and doing good socially are no longer mutually exclusive. And for, for a significant period of time, the, the model around philanthropy was to generate as much wealth by any means as possible um, and then if your values are aligned or if your tax structure needs it, um, a lot of people would then donate what would say traditional checkbook philanthropy, which is writing a check to a cause uh, and then the relationship stops there. Um, but definitely what I've seen working with um, some of the top social entrepreneurs in the country um, but also across the world now is that um, you know young people want to find business solutions to social problems, and it's leveraging the the unbelievable access that we have to to information and knowledge, and you know um, you know podcasts and TED talks and you know you name it, we can find out effectively any answer ever. But aligning that to causes that bring up not only a financial return but a social or environmental return too, and. Um, you know, a lot of the conversations I have with, with my mates um, are like, you know, how can I give back and what does that look like? You know, I, I've got to worry about my mortgage, my family, you know, setting up my future. Um, and, you know, I think philanthropy can play, take place in, in a variety of different ways. It doesn't have to just be monetarily um, given. I think one of the most valuable assets we have in our lives is our time. And having the expertise of um, people who have um, business experience or have, you know, incredible intent and um, commitment to a course um, is exceptionally valuable for, for not, the not-for-profit sector, which is incredibly under, um, under-resourced. 
So I think um, donating of time um, or connections or networks or people who would be able to help is, um, is very important. And then if there is um, the means to donate um, financially to support causes that align with um, people, adults' passions or values or areas of interest, then I know that is always greatly appreciated um, by the, the social sector. Um, and, you know, I think one of the questions which I had a conversation with one of um, our staff members recently was around the rocking chair test is what we called it. And it was, um, you know, sitting back on our rocking chair in 90 years time or when we're 90 years old you know we are we going to look back on that moment and be like remember that time we did oh no we didn't do it and just going you know if this is about you know the short amount of time we have on this planet what is the impact that we want to have and one of the quotes which I love in this regard is you know imagine if a millionaire wasn't um making a million dollars but actually bringing a million lives out of poverty and, you know, I think we're starting to see a real movement of, of people getting into the social sector who have the business um, savviness or the business acumen or the passion and the willpower to really start progressing some of the biggest issues that our planet is facing. And um, I think that's really exciting. And I guess that, like you said, that giving of time, that sort of links back to what you were talking about before where the lack of deep meaningful relationships is what we see in society as a big impact around who we are as people and the emotional uh, struggles that we might be experiencing. I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, one of the things that I have seen in my own life, but also seen with, um, you know, people in my life that I've supported through their own challenges is that often if we are having a shocker of a day, if we can do something for someone else, for whatever reason, we start to feel better about ourselves. And I think that's a, I think that's a hack, really. That's a very simple hack, a simple moment of kindness, but, you know, or building in kindness into your daily routine or into, um, you know, your career or your life um, is one of the most important um, and life-enchanting um, things that we can do as a human being. And it's, I believe that's actually how we're programmed as, you know, to support the community and the collective is actually the reason it feels so good is because it's, we're, we're biologically programmed to, to want to support our community. And the fascinating thing that I've found in this domain is that, you know, the more you give, the more you get. And, um, you know, just building that in from a really young age, I think is, is incredibly important with our young people. Yeah, I just did an episode, a solo episode not so long ago, and I call it the cracking the code of life. And I'm doing a few different elements of the foundations of what it means to be a human and how we can initiate all those helpful emotional states and energetic conditions. And the first one was actually about kindness and mm. referencing a lot of the scientific backing and also... Uh, some some other people that I believe, Kath Cashel from the Kindness Factory, that are literally alive because of kindness. But you're exactly right when you when you are kind to people, you it's it's sort of a you get the emotional hijacking yourself of those good emotions, and you also give it. So it's mutual. That's great. I love emotional hijacking. That's awesome. <laughs> it can go both ways. That good old monkey mind of ours can take it the oh, other way, yeah. or we can stimulate it in the helpful direction. Yeah, completely. And I believe. You've also got an exciting side company uh, about a young man's hygiene range, respect that's in the in the works. Yeah, respect. So we, we very quickly realised with, with the man cave uh, kind of two things. The first was that 
when we run our programs, um, you know, these boys, the boys kind of come in going, what is this thing? And then they walk out as our biggest ambassadors and advocates, which is, which is awesome and a real testament to the program. But often they'll go back to a home environment or straight on their phones and they're just saturated by misogynistic, sexist, old school advertising, which is conditioning them without them even realising it. Like if you think back to the old Lynx ads, um, you know, which is like a, a dude spraying himself probably with two deodorants at once, the tagline, even angels will fall, and then a flock of gorgeous women chasing after him. Now, I, I, I grew up with Lynx. My younger brother, ironically, is 15. He still uses Lynx. <laughs> um, I'm still waiting for that to happen. Um, but, you know, the the belief systems that they're in without any being aware of or consciously um, consuming, um, I believe plays a really significant role in um, the, the gender inequality that exists in the world, but also how um, a lot of our young men are, are treating women in their lives. And so that was kind of the first thing we identified. And the second thing we identified was that um, our young um, men working, uh, sorry, living in low socioeconomic communities often don't get the support that they need um, um, for instance, getting the man cave out into those, those communities. And so um, we came up with this concept, which is Respect, which is a natural hygiene brand um, where 50% of our profits will support the man cave in low socioeconomic communities. Our first product is a natural deodorant. And uh, the, uh, the idea behind it is that we use meaningful marketing um, to create a a shift in the, the belief systems and really look at celebrating healthy male role models um, uh, at, at the forefront. And we've seen this work really well with, you know, the Dove Beautiful Women campaign, um, which is celebrating women of all shapes and sizes. Um, then there's a, there was a very powerful campaign by the tampon company Always, which was um, hashtag like a girl, where they showed a very interesting video clip where um, they asked an 11-year-old girl to sprint like a girl and she just sprints ferociously on the spot. And they told her to throw like a girl and she just pegs this ball. And then they show, they do the same questions with a 16-year-old young woman. And um, they say, you know, run like a girl. And she kind of prances. And then they say, throw like a girl. And she does a very soft throw. And the idea is that what's been conditioned into these young women is to be like a girl is a negative thing. And after they kind of showed this advertisement, it created a, a measurable um, shift in the belief systems of people who use the language like a girl. And it also exponentially increased the uh, this profitability of this company. So we thought, you know, there's a significant opportunity to, to do something like this for young men where we can play an educational role for um, the parents, which where we can get natural-based products which aren't carcinogenic or chemical-based, but also we can be um, edgy and cool and um, use influencers um, to work with, with um, young men in, in um, being the advocates of, of um, supporting our products and you know, giving guys that decision at the, the point of purchase where they can go, you know what, I can choose links or I can, I can choose respect, which I know will help a boy become a great man. And where are we at? That's, that's all brilliant. I want you to let me know when and where that's available because I'm, I'm all for the natural products and when it's got an even deeper resonating message behind it, I'm in, in support of that. Where are we at in the works of that coming to fruition? So we, uh, I've got samples. I'm about the second round of samples at this stage. Uh, we've got our, our base level branding up. We've registered the trademark name. Uh, 
And yeah, for us, it's, it's um, what we've learned very, very quickly from some of the marketing agencies we, we caught up with was um, good marketing just helps bad products fail faster. And so for us, it's, you know, irrespective of we've got a social mission or not, it actually needs to be an exceptionally high product for it to last. And um, so at the moment, we're, we're really looking at refining a, a natural deodorant that young, well, men, but also young men, will, will really want to use because we know it'll be a brand that guys will, will grow up with as they, they get older. So, um, yeah, sample stages, branding, so kind of version one's locked and loaded. Um, and so hopefully by the end of the year, we'll, we'll be getting something uh, out to the market. Brilliant. We'll stay closely tuned to all that. Now, I could talk to you all day about human behavior and everything else, but we're conscious of time. We'll wrap it up shortly. But there is a few questions that I ask all my guests on the show. And Hunter, I'd love to know from you, what do you believe is good action for people to take to be more, to make more of an impact in their lives and in the lives of others? Yeah. And maybe we've already covered it. (laughs) Yeah, I think we might have. You know, what came back for me was um, what, it's interesting, like all these conversations around are you okay day? Um, You know, obviously it's just been, and I think are you okay day has played a phenomenal role in bringing up the conversation and, you know, destigmatizing mental health. But what I think is missing in the conversation is the generous listening. Um, because if, you know, if I reflect on my journey, um, if I was having a shocker of a day and probably if I'm straight, even to this day, if, some, if I'm having an absolute shocker and someone says, are you okay? It actually requires you know, real like level of honesty to just go, oh, actually, here you go if I'm not doing okay. And what I would love um, for, you know, people or your listeners to think about is how they can be those non-judgmental, generous and active listeners to people in their lives where um, they can create a space for their friendship groups or people they care about for them just to download whatever is on their mind. And a very simple technology that we have is, is called a check-in which is basically when I catch up with some of my mates or even my staff, we'll kick it off with a check-in where each of us will just for 60 to 90 seconds, we'll give a, a check-in of where we're up to in our lives. And it's a way where we can kind of talk through all the different components of, of life. And it's just talked about openly and there's no need to be rescued or fixed or made better. It's just the space where we can start sharing about what's going on. So I think, introducing a check-in into your friendship or your social groups. And even if you're having to name, hey, I heard this, this interesting thing. It might be a bit weird on this podcast, but I want to try it out. I think that would be an amazing asset for your listeners because we know that when we're vulnerable and open and genuine and authentic, that's where true connection is formed. And I think, um, yeah, it's been a very powerful vehicle for, for me in my life and I think for people to support loved ones in their communities. It's a, it's a great asset and a, a technology too. I love it. I was actually talking with Jamin this morning and we did a check-in over Zoom. <laughs> Amazing. I know exactly Amazing. what you're talking about. <laughs> Perfect. That's it. That's it. Now, another question. What's a book or a podcast that you'd highly recommend to the listeners that has been influential for you? And I know there's going to be an abundance of them, but what's one that really stands out that you'd highly recommend? Yeah. So the say book, I mentioned Principles by Ray Dalio, which mm-hmm. I think is a very, very powerful book. So Dalio was the founder of Bridgewater, uh, which is the largest funds manager in the world. Um, he's created this culture of radical transparency and honesty and high performance. Uh, 
he is obviously an extreme case, but um, I think the, what he's done is distilled the life lessons um, from work and his own personal life into simple principles, which he's tested uh, over the years and refined, has been a really incredible asset for me personally. And the, the second book is a book um, by, uh, it's called True North. Uh, I think his name is George North. Um, Bill George, actually. True North by Bill George. Um, and it is a book on authentic leadership. And what I love about this book is that uh, it gives questions um, uh, after each chapter, which are very practical to do some self-reflection on your own personal journey. Uh, and I think that, you know, it, as human beings, if we can continue to reflect and refine and understand more of who we are and how we wound up being the way we are, the more compassionate and empathetic and supportive we can be for others, but also for ourselves. Sounds great. And I'll link that up for all the listeners. I know everyone likes to get some resources. So I'll put the links to those books in the show notes. I've heard about, haven't heard of True North. I'm looking forward to that one, but I've heard principles a few times. And you know, when things sort of come at you a few times, it's like, okay, there's the there's enough science to say, I've got to get into that book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. The evidence is there. That's right. So where can we learn more about you? What's your social media or website? And then also, how can I and the listeners help you on your journey? So at Twitter account is at Hunter Johnson, H-U-N-T-E-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N-91. Uh, on LinkedIn is Hunter Johnson uh, and the, the business name is The Man Cave. And um, uh, I'm trying to think what else. We're also on Instagram. Uh, so it's The Man Cave underscore Oz. We're there. Um, yeah, that, that would be the best way to support. And then also our website is www.themancave.life, L-I-F-E. We, uh, we couldn't afford the .com or .org or .au. Um, and the, the best way to support us is, um, you know, we would love you to, to get around us on, on social media and if there's a desire for us to do work in your communities, you know, we're, we're very, very open to this. We're passionate about getting our work with boys and young men um, out um, across the country as best as possible and also building a, you know, a supporter base, whether it's, you know, philanthropically um, or just in-kind support or people who want to volunteer. We're very, very open to that too. Brilliant. And once again, I'll link all that up in the show notes for everyone to find that easily enough and to reach out. Now, one of my top core values is giving and I give all my guests a gift for giving their time and value on the podcast. And Hunter, today I'm giving you, I'm going to send you one of our charity teas, the Life Teas, which is- awesome the charity branch and we donate 100% of the profits to our chosen charities. And one of them is actually the youth mental health organization, Batir, that I know that you're well connected yeah. with. So I'm going to pop that one in the post to you to, to say a massive thank you, mate. Awesome. Thanks for the opportunity uh, to, to have this conversation, mate. I've loved it and also love that um, Batir uh, who do incredible work at getting some support too. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you don't escape that easy. We've got the fast five questions that we're going to roll, let just roll off the tongue. It happens really quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. But before that, do you have anything else you'd like to ask me before we roll into the fast five? Oh, I'm very, very happy with this opportunity. Um, I'd love to just know, for, for you personally, I'm aware of your, your personal story um, Brett, that's kind of been your fuel and, and your motivation. But I'd love to know what's where is where is Brett in uh, in in fifteen years? Fifteen years, wow! I could tell you three to five years, but fifteen years, I'll be 
Uh, I'll be a dad, no doubt. I will be a still an optimistic lover of life. I will be chasing goals and visions around my health and activity. I'm very active in that way and I believe in those aspects of mm. really fueling us. I will be impacting through the same sort of space but in under what platform, who knows, whatever podcasts and whatever online programs evolve, evolve into, exactly right. I, you know, I'm just fueled by... I'm fueled by pride and also that giving. You said it before. I believe that giving is living and, and those kindness aspects. So any space that involves my top core values around that and, and it'll be big on, on family. I've got my gorgeous fiance and, you know, we want to be parents and that'll happen. So, I, yeah, it's, it's hard to know exactly what it'll look like but I, I know that it'll still be a very values-based driven life with quality relationships and, and highly around health and kindness and giving and gratitude. Unbelievable, mate. Sounds like an uh, incredible life to live. I'm excited about it. <laughs> yeah, okay, the fast five questions. Okay. Yeah. Just let it roll off the tongue. What's one habit you wish you could change? Focus. Focus more. Oh, you seem pretty focused to me. You're getting a lot done. (laughs) (laughs) It's just this hyper-focus. Hyper-focus is the next level, I think, for for me for high-performance. Hyper-focus. What makes you feel absolutely pumped and exhilarated and energized? Having working with young men and seeing them have an open and honest conversation for the very first time. Brilliant. Have you ever washed a dog? I have, yes. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, the first one that came to my mind was my dad and he said to me, are you doing this for others or are you doing this for yourself? Love it. And the final one, what are you most grateful for in your life right now? I'm grateful for being surrounded by a community and of, of, of mates, of family uh, and people at my work who who see me for being a big person who challenged me and who love me and, and support me. And, um, you know, I, I feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm in a really fortunate position after hustling for a few years to now starting to see some fruits of that labor and being yeah really loved and supported by the, the people I care most about. Love it. Hunter, you're a legend. Your presence on this planet is a prime example of the genuine authentic leadership that can significantly change people's lives for the better. Keep shining your impactful light to the world, my man. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Matt. I've loved it. (laughs) Ah, yeah. What a genuinely impactful legend. I really feel like I could have done a Tim Ferriss three-hour style episode there and just dived deeper and deeper into so many different topics that we scraped the surface on. And I had some other questions there that I wanted to hit him up around leadership and different things that we didn't even get to touch on. What a champion. Don't forget your generous, non-judgmental listening. And make sure you jump online and follow Hunter and The Man Cave at themancave.life. And I'll link all that up in the website and the social media tags in the show notes to this episode. Uh, and also anything else that we've spoken about on here, the resources and the books. And if you know someone who would benefit from this episode, please share it around. Giving is living and kindness is an infectious, positive health booster. And sharing this podcast is just one way that you can start to reap all those benefits. 
Also, feel free to reach out to me on social media and just say good day or drop me an email and let me know how this podcast has influenced or impacted your life. I truly love hearing from you all in those regards. Even better, jump onto our private Facebook group and let me know there how this this podcast has impacted you. So you can find it in the group section on Facebook under Your Life of Impact Podcast Community. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.